Well, Merry Christmas. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day so far. This is uh, one of the most magical days of the year. You know, the simplicity and the service, the beauty, the family, the friends, the presents, the food, everything is an incredible and magical time. And I remember when I was a child, and maybe you were like me, this was one of the few nights when I was willing to go to bed early, right? It's like, get out of church as soon as possible, get home, let's eat the food, let's get to bed. Like, I'll go to bed, but it never worked, right? It, it never worked. I, thought, I told myself, sooner I go to bed, the sooner I wake up and I get to see what Santa brought. But I could never fall asleep because I was like, you know what, I need to stay up. I, need, I, I, wanna, I wanna hear the sleigh bells. I wanna hear the reindeer land on the roof. I, I wanna hear what it sounds like when Santa falls down the chimney and it's like, whoosh, you know, like that jolly belly laugh when he sees the cookies and like the prank that I played with some of the cookies. You know, like I wanna hear it. And so I would stay awake. I would try to stay awake. And every little sound, every little creak, every little noise, I thought maybe that's Santa. And then, you know, halfway through the night as I'm, I'm trying to stay up and I'm trying to listen, uh, I fell asleep in exhaustion. I always wake up in the morning on Christmas Day like with some weird position, you know, my head is out of whack and my back is all strained because I just, I totally just passed out in exhaustion. And I, I realized when I was a kid, I was like, why is it that Santa only comes when I'm asleep? You know, it's like, this is not fair. Like I'm trying here and he's so smart. He only comes when I'm asleep. And when I was a kid, this time of year, Christmas season and Christmas time and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, it just had magic in it. There was joy and there was an anticipation like none other and there was belief. Belief in Santa, belief in the gifts that I was going to get and that the, the list worked and he read it and I've been good or whatever else I was trying to tell myself during that time. But as we age, something happens to us, right? Christmas feels a little different than when we were kids. There's maybe a different feeling of anticipation. The anticipation isn't so much the anticipation of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, though we still enjoy that and we're excited about that. It's Some of us are feeling the anticipation of like, I can't wait for it to be over. Like, I can't wait for New Year's to come in like a normal schedule without all the parties and all the pressure and all the expectations. Like, I'm anticipating that now. The magic is a little different. It doesn't feel the same. The joy is more circumstantial. And belief, well, <laughs> that's changed too, right? We've become more cynical. We've become doubters. We tell ourselves this as we quote unquote mature, right? As we mature and as we grow, we say belief is through sight. Like if I see it, then I'll believe it. And if I don't see it, then I'm not really sure if I'm gonna believe it. And what causes in us is when we look at children, if as we mature and as we think these things, we become cynical. You look at children during Christmas especially, and have you ever thought this? Man, wouldn't it be great to be like that again? But everything's exciting. There's so much joy and anticipation and belief and magic. And you think to yourself, man, that would be amazing to feel like that, to get out of my head a little bit, to be in the moment, to experience what it is that children experience. You know, I was, I was thinking about that this week and, and our quote unquote maturity as we grow up and as become more cynical and as we doubt a little bit more, it doesn't only affect the commercialized version of Christmas with Santa and, and gift giving and presents and the whole thing and all the parties and social events, all good things. It doesn't only affect that, right? 
it affects what we celebrate tonight. It affects the real story of Christmas, the, the story of Jesus, that this is the story, right? This is the Christmas story that Jesus came some 2,000 years ago, and he was born to a poor Jewish couple in Palestine, in Bethlehem. And they were in Bethlehem, and there was no room anywhere because everybody had flooded the town for a census. And so Mary and Joseph, they go to a cave because there's an innkeeper that says, listen, you can, you can have my cave where the animals are. And, and so they go there, and Mary's been told that she is carrying not Joseph's child, but the child of God the Father, and that his name will be Jesus. He will be the Son of God, Savior of the world. And they're in a cave, and there's some animals, and, and when they have the baby, they place the baby in a manger, which is a feeding trough. And there's only a few visitors. You know, it's, it's not what you imagine it would be if the Savior of the world, King of the world, creator of the world shows up in flesh and blood. It's, it's a few shepherds, some wise men, the parents, and then a bunch of animals. And that we believe that Jesus arrived onto the scene. He was God in the flesh. And he didn't just simply come to say, hey, here I am. But then he had a journey and he had a mission. He was overlooked for most of his life. And then for three years, after about the time he was 30 years old, he spent three years showing and declaring that he was, in fact, God in the flesh by healing the blind and making the lame walk and performing all different types of miracles. And then ultimately, Christmas leads us to Easter where his mission, which was to save you and me, to forgive us of our sins and our debt and our guilt and our shame, he paid for on the cross and he was put in the grave and three days later he came back alive, demonstrating that he was in fact who he said he was the entire time, God in the flesh. This is what we are recounting and this is what we're thinking about on Easter, that God has come for us to save us. And when we think about it, whether this is your first time in church ever, this is your first time in a long time, or you come every Sunday, when we hear this Christmas story because of our maturity, what happens? We think to ourselves, either I flat out reject that, or I'm on the journey of like asking questions about that, but that seems way too miraculous way too far-fetched, or we believe, but it's so hard to wrap your mind around. You're like, ah, I mean, God in the flesh in a manger to a virgin, Jesus, man, that's difficult. I believe it, but it's not necessarily very easy. And so we, we miss out a little bit, right, on the magic and the joy and the anticipation of Christmas because we doubt and we're cynical, right? When you think about God in the flesh, and God in the flesh feels a little bit about like Santa giving gifts to all the children in the world in one night. You think about that God has come to rescue and to save me. And that kind of feels like a whole bunch of elves making toys in the North Pole. And no one's ever found it. You think about the fact that, that God was born to a virgin. That Joseph wasn't the father, but it was God the father through the Holy Spirit that gave this child to Mary. And that that feels a little bit like Santa fitting down chimneys and, and arriving at houses that don't have chimneys and somehow getting in there as well, right? It's, it's difficult for us to wrap our mind around because it's miraculous and it's hard for us to process. And, and our text tonight in the Gospel of John, the very first chapter, John starts out and he wants you to experience the magic and the joy and the beauty of Christmas, so he starts his gospel very different. 
he starts like this. Read along on the screen behind me. It says, the word was first, the word was present to God, God present to the word. So this is very important. So in the Greek, this word, the word, is the word logos. So here's what happened. The Greeks, they, they were very mature. They thought they're very intellectual. They're very smart. They're philosophers. And so they're trying to make sense of everything in the world. And they were honest with themselves. And they said, listen, there is some divine reason. There is something that makes sense of everything. There is something that gives meaning and kind of orders everything. And we don't know what that thing is. We don't know if it's a being or an essence or an energy. We don't really know. And so we're going to term it, whatever it is, the logos, the word. And here, John says in the very beginning, as he speaks to his, his audience and as he speaks to us, he's like, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like there's something out there? There's something that makes sense of all things. It gives meaning to all things and orders all things, but you really can't wrap your mind around it. You ever feel like you're believing in the logos? And John, at the very beginning, he says, listen, the logos, that thing that you've been thinking about, that you've been processing, but you can't wrap your mind around it, that thing is in fact God. The word is God. The word was first. And he continues and he says, the word was God in readiness from, for God from day one. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. So he's tying these things together. Listen, he's very interesting how he starts the Christmas story. He says, the word, the thing that you can't make sense of, that's ordering everything and giving meaning, that thing that you feel in your gut, the logos, that's God. And he's eternal. He's been since the beginning. He's actually the creator and the author of all things. But there's a subtle change here in the language. Look what verse 3 says. It says, everything was created through, what does the word say? Him. Notice the change. He's speaking about the word, the logos, this thing that you can't wrap your mind around. And all of a sudden John says, that thing that you can't wrap your mind around, the logos, who is God, is a him. He gives the Logos a pronoun. And this is really perplexing because we only give pronouns to things that are alive, right? To animals and to human beings, a, a him and a her. We, you don't look at a rock and go, she's really pretty, right? If you did, that would be weird. Like, oh, you're talking to rocks now. You know it's a her, right? We only give the pronouns to animals and to human beings, and here, John is saying that God, who is the word, the logos, is a him. And he continues on because he wants you to understand who this him is. He says, what came into existence, he's speaking about the logos, the word. What came into existence was life. And life was the light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness and the darkness couldn't put it out. He's speaking about this him, this logos, this word. He, John is saying that this logos and word has arrived, that he is life, he has become alive. And in him, and when you are in his, his aura, when you are around him, when you are near him, when you interact with him, you find life and you find light. It is as if this logos, this word who is alive, is a him, is a candle walking through a dark room and wherever the candle goes, the light runs away and is dispelled. He continues on. He says, the life light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He's wanting you to feel 
the poetry and the beauty and the mystery of what Christmas is about. That the word has arrived and he is the light who dispels darkness. And when you interact with him, you come into the light. You come out of darkness into the light. And so this is causing in you, if you're reading and you're processing, you're like, okay, I want to interact with whoever this him is because I want to be out of the darkness. I want to be in the light and find life that this is actually good news. And he says it gets better here. He's, John says he was in the world and the world was there through him. I'm sure it's all coming together for you now as you're thinking about why we're here tonight on Christmas Eve. You see, John is, is telling us that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the word, the thing that gives meaning and order and substance to all things, that thing that we feel in our gut, but we maybe call energy or we call some supernatural being or we don't really call anything, but we sense it. That's Jesus and he has come, he has arrived, he was in the world, he was flesh and blood and when you interact with him, you come into the light because he is full of light. The darkness runs away from him because he is, in fact, God. And he says this more specifically in the latter verses. He, he says this. I love how Eugene Peterson puts this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Think about how radical of a statement that is. God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, arrived into our scene, came to earth, and we saw the glory with our own eyes, a one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son. See, this is the Christmas story. The Christmas story is that God, the word, has become flesh and blood, and he brings with him light and life for anyone that interacts with him. But he laid aside his glory, though we've seen his glory on some level, and John is speaking specifically because he has seen with his own eyes Jesus Christ. But he laid aside his glory when he came here. It wasn't full and complete. And you see that in how Jesus was born, right? He doesn't come as we would expect. How would you have expected the logos, the word, the eternal creator being who becomes flesh and blood to arrive? You would expect a palace. You would expect a gold cradle. You would expect fanfare, bands and music and everyone in the entire world would come to this one town and stand in a line for hours and days and weeks just to have one glimpse of God in the flesh. And yet he arrives in an inglorious fashion. He arrives humbly and approachable with a few visitors who didn't even know the couple, but were invited by an angel to come and to arrive. He's truly one of a kind. And this is the Christmas story, which is magical, and it's full of anticipation, and it's full of joy. You know, God is telling us in this night, this holy night, that he has come to dispel the darkness. And sometimes we can just think holistically about that. He's, become, he's going to dispel the darkness and one day he's going to make all things right and he's going to take away all things that are broken and he's going to restore them and make things pure and true and right. And that's, that is correct. He will do that at one time. But the Christmas story is also a reminder that God has come to dispel the darkness in you and me. That he has come for you and he has come for me to 
to save and to redeem and to bring us into his light so we can find life. And what happens when you come into the light? You ever been in a dark room where it's pitch black dark, you can't see your hand in front of your face? Like it's terrifying, right? Like you walk so slow because you don't know what's gonna happen, right? But when you're in the light, you can make sense of things. You can see things. When it's pitch black dark and you're touching things, you don't know what you're touching. You're freaked out. Right, I saw this YouTube video recently where it's like, put your hands in the box or whatever, and they have things in a box. And it's like a stuffed animal, but people are freaking out because they don't know what they're touching. They can't make sense of it. But in the light, you can see what you're touching. You can make sense of things. And when you're walking in the light, you can avoid traps and holes and things that may trip you up and cause you to fall. But when you're in the darkness, you walk real slow and you don't know where you're going and you still may fall off a ledge. You see, the Christmas story is reminding you that Jesus, who is light, the light of the world has come to earth. He has become flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And he invites you to come into his presence, to be in relationship with him where you find light, where you can make sense of things. Because he is the one that made all things. To help give meaning and substance and understanding to the things that you're navigating in your life. He helps you see how to walk and where to walk so you can avoid the potholes. Now, you're still going to fall because sometimes we run when we shouldn't and we take a left step when we should have taken a right even though we can see the direction we're supposed to go, but he gives us vision. And then most of all, he tells us that when we encounter him and we come into light that one day we are going to be in pure light where there's no darkness at all. When he dispels the darkness finally and he invites us people of faith into a relationship with him where there's no darkness at all. You see, Christmas should bring about a feeling of joy and magic and anticipation. But it's really difficult for us to process. And John knows that, even as he writes this, that we're going to have a hard time believing this. He writes it here. He says, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. He arrives on the scene and only a few people show up to bring some gifts and to worship him. And this pattern isn't only true in Christmas. This pattern is repeated in his life. There's a few that believe. There's a few that follow him. There's a few that trust in him in faith. And, and there's a lot of people that ignore him and overlook him and hate him. And just want nothing to do with him. Because in their maturity... And maybe you've been there too. In your maturity, you think to yourself, that's too miraculous. Jesus can't really be the Logos, the word of God, light of the world, come to earth to save me. And John is wanting you to sense the beauty and the power and the truth of Christmas, that it is in fact true that God has come to save you. He has come to redeem you. He is saying, and in essence, what there's a line from the, the movie Polar Express says, and I love this line. It says, seeing is believing. That's how we live, right? When we see something, we believe it. But sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. And that's the Christmas story. The Polar Express is one of my favorite Christmas movies. I love the, the story. If you're not familiar with it, here's the story of the Polar Express. There's a young boy, and the young boy is struggling because his friends are telling him Santa's not real. And he's like, no, no, Santa's real. And they're like, he's not real. Have you ever seen Santa? And not even have you ever seen him. Have you ever even heard a sleigh bell? And he hasn't. And so he's struggling. He's like, man, I haven't heard the sleigh bell and I haven't seen him. So he goes to bed on Christmas Eve and he wakes up 
in the middle of the night to a train that is in his street. And he's like, what is going on? So he leaves the house and he goes to the train and the conductor of the train says, hey, hop on the train, we're going to the North Pole. He's like, okay. So he gets on the train and there's other kids on the train. They all have hot chocolate and they're in their pajamas and they're all heading to the North Pole. So they take off, they're going on this journey through villages and over mountains and they arrive at the North Pole. And there's a huge Christmas tree and they get out of the train and there's elves everywhere and they see rain, this, the reindeer and Santa's sleigh, but they don't see Santa. And the elves are telling them, listen, Santa's gonna arrive very soon and he's gonna pick one person and that one person gets the first gift of Christmas. And all of a sudden the elves part and Santa arrives, and, and there's so much anticipation, right? As everyone is looking at Santa, and now the kids are seeing Santa for the first time. He's real, and, and Santa looks at this young boy, and he says, how about this fella? And he goes over to Santa, and he sits on Santa's lap, and Santa says, what would you like for, for Christmas? And he thinks to himself, he knows he can have anything. And he says, you know, all I really want is, is one sleigh bell. I want to hear that sleigh bell ring. I want to be able to go show other people that you are, in fact, real Santa. I don't want to take it back. So Santa gives him one sleigh bell. He puts it in his pocket. He gets back on the train. They're heading back home. And then all the kids on the train come over, and they're like, listen, I want to hear the sleigh bell. Can you get it? So he reaches in his pocket, and he realizes he has a hole in his pocket, and he lost the sleigh bell, and he's devastated. He gets back home, and he goes to sleep, and he wakes up in the morning on Christmas Day, and it's not the same. He had the sleigh bell, and now he doesn't have it anymore. And they're opening gifts, and there's a small present in the back. And he opens this present, and it's a note. And inside the note, it says, you left this in the sleigh. You might want to fix that hole in your pocket, and it's the sleigh bell. And he takes the sleigh bell, and he rings it, and he hears the most beautiful sound he's ever heard in his life. And then his parents look at him, and they say, man, I'm so sorry that the bell is broken. And he, he's like, what, what, do you, what do you mean it's broken? You don't hear this? And I don't hear anything. The, the bell's broken. And the story ends like this. It says, at one time, most of my friends could hear the bell, but as years passed, it fell silent for all of them. Truly, though I've grown old, the bell still rings for me as it does for all who truly believe. You see, the Polar Express is conveying something that's true about Christmas which is when you believe, when you really trust in faith, even though you can't wrap your mind around it perfectly, even though it is in fact miraculous, when you believe that the word of God, light of the world, savior has come and become flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood to rescue and to redeem and to save you and to invite you into relationship with him where you can find life and light and vision for your life going forward, you will sense the magic and the joy and the anticipation that is in Christmas. And it is available to everyone through belief only. But you can't have physical eyes. You have to have eyes of faith to see that. So this is my prayer. My prayer is that this Christmas, that you would look to Jesus, that you would look with eyes of faith and you would be reminded that he loves you that he cares deeply for you and that he invites you into relationship with him to find life and to find light as you navigate this next year in 2018. Stand in his light and stand in relationship with him. And when you do, I promise you this is what you'll find, joy, true joy. There is still magic in Christmas. 
and his name is Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you have invited us to be here in this place. Lord, we thank you that you have called us together as your church. Lord, we thank you that this is a place for anyone to come and to ask questions and, and to walk through. Uh, Lord, the, the doubts and the things that we have in our head, Lord, you're not scared of that. And God, we ask that tonight as we sit here and as we, we close in a moment with this beautiful and powerful song, God, we pray that we would gain a sense of, of who you are, that you love us, that you invite us into relationship with you, that you truly are the light of the world. Lord, and if we look to you with eyes of faith, we will come to find joy and love and peace and hope and all the things that we spoke about during the season of Advent. May we find that tonight as we look to you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.